0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I am Tyler and we are joined by some great guests today the guys from SBU Unfurled and Friends, SBU Unfurled, and his friend, Little Bonna X that's coming up a little bit later. We're going to start things off with a very familiar voice. Matt is back to help us open up the mailbag today.
1: Yeah, First, thanks, first
0: time in conference season.
1: I know. It's good to be back. I was a little bit worried because I mean, you had some good A-10 guests on the last two weeks, Petey Buckets and Matt Ryan, I would say two of the authorities on A-10 Twitter. They know what they're talking about, but it's fun to be back and Although, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch as many games this year, but still ready to just get back and talk some basketball. We're always ready to talk basketball. We got some great friends on
0: Twitter who have some certain things they want us to talk about. So let's open up that mailbag.
1: Yeah, let's just get right into it. We got a couple fun questions, a couple topics, one from the weekend and then another one for a team that's coming back to play. So I think we can start with that. That's probably one of the big stories is that St. Louis, they've been on pause for over a month now, the only team in the conference that hasn't played a league game. And so West Pine Bills asked us, with the Billikens coming back this week, what's more likely, an undefeated St. Louis in conference or a winless St. Joe's?
0: So basically about the same number of games left. I'm assuming SLU will get no buys at this point, so they're looking at probably about 12 games over these next six weeks. St. Joe's needs 11 more, so no big distinguisher there. I think it's an undefeated St. Louis, and for as much as I like the Bonnies and as much as I believe that that gap is, cl- is fairly close, I can certainly see a universe where the Billikens are able to beat them twice, especially just given that St. Louis has really had their number over the years. But meanwhile, and I guess the biggest point being, St. Louis is still the best team in this conference no matter – how close that might now be I still don't believe that St. Joe's is the worst team in this conference and once again we're heading for a second to last weekend of the year game of the year of the century showdown against Fordham and even though it's at the Rose Hill I would I would pick St. Joe's in that game and that is the single reason why I'd say an undefeated slew is more likely
1: Yeah, I I don't think either of them is going to happen. But I will say for St. Louis, so right now, I'm just looking at Ken Palm. They've got 10 games scheduled, and I'm sure they're going to get more because that doesn't include either of the St. Bonaventure games. And you know that the A-10 is going to do anything they can to make sure those two games happen because they're going to be huge games, both for potential NCAA tournament implications and also A-10 seeding implications with the Bonnies playing well. But it, St. Louis, they're not going to play 18 games, so they wouldn't have to go 18-0. and 0. And, you know, 10 or 11-0 or whatever it may be, that's still difficult, but that seems a lot more reasonable. I think I'm going to disagree, though, with what you said about St. Joe's. I, I think they might be the worst team in the conference right now. And maybe that's just my bias showing because Fordham did win a game, and we're not going to go into any more detail than that. But St. Joe's, just they've been looking rough this year. I really thought with last year, they just had such a depleted roster. And I know they've had some injuries this year too, but I really expected more out of them. And even with Taylor Funk playing pretty well, they just look so lost defensively. And I think they're going to win a game at some point, but I don't think there's a team I'd pick them against right now to win.
0: I guess the other big wild card too is St. Louis coming off of a month pause. They have to play Dayton and Richmond the first week back, which is not exactly easy. And so it's, it, it's not too hard to talk yourself into them just being
1: awful in one of those two games. Yeah, that's a huge wild card. That's something we've never seen before, where a team is just rolling through the first eight games of their schedule, and all of a sudden they can't play a game for over a month. And, I mean, even though, you know, that is a pretty tough, Start with Dayton and Richmond. I do think St. Louis probably matches up well with Dayton, but still, who knows how they're going to come out in that first game back. And I, I don't know. I, I still think for now, like I'm comfortable saying St. Louis is the best team in the A 10, but it wouldn't really surprise me to see them lose one of these early games and just look really rusty. It, I don't know. I mean, to my knowledge, they only started practicing a few days ago as a whole team. And I, I think we've seen it with other teams this year where when they come back from a long pause, it might take a few games to get their legs back. So we'll see. But that is something to keep an eye on. We're not really sure how they're going to respond right away. It's probably going to look like some very ugly Billiken ball. We
0: haven't had to revert to that much this year. We've been playing a prettier style of basketball. I, I, expect, I expect the Baron Cup to just be a rock fight this year.
1: You see, that's the thing. like St. Louis, the younger I mean, guys. Yeah, we know they can play defense and they play hard. I'm not worried about that. But like right now, St. Louis is shooting 41% from three this season. And their offense has just been unbelievable, way better than I would have expected. But is it fair to expect them to just come out shooting the ball on fire again as soon as they come back? I feel like that might take a few games for them to get those open looks they were getting earlier in the season. So I don't know. I mean, the good news is like, Richmond's not playing that well right now and neither is Dayton. So they could very well win both those games and they're probably not going to play St. Bonaventure for a while. And that's looking like one of their biggest tests. So I, I think they're going to end up being fine. I just think it might be a, a couple kind of just slow games to get them going. So not expecting them to lose necessarily, but it's just hard to know what to expect from them. We'll see what happens to
0: what would be their third game back there on a buy the other by team is GW, who's currently on a pause. So if the Colonials are back by then, I would assume that that's who they play. But if not, it may just come down to if someone else has to cancel
1: a game. So real quick, before we move on, I, I just want to talk about the other part of this question, a winless St. Joe's. So right now, in the Billy Lang era, the Hawks are 7-38. and 38. Are you worried about that? Because, you know, I give them a little bit of a pass for last year with just, you know, they didn't have enough guys, and they turned over the entire roster. This year, they get Taylor Funk back. They bring in a couple promising freshmen, including Jordan Hall, who's tied for the lead lead in triple nickels, by the way, and they still just – they stink. They're absolutely terrible. So are you worried about what's going on in Hawk Hill? I
0: think you have to be. I think next year is when – we're really going to get a ton of answers. And so I I would not be worried enough to fire Lang after two years, but next year they're going to have to adjust to number one, just understanding that you don't have Ryan Daly to lean on because even if he comes back next year with his waiver, the poor guy can't stay healthy. He's out basically about as much as he plays at this point. So you need to adjust for the assumption that he just simply won't be on the court. And number two, he better either develop some defenders this summer or he better find some because the paint defense is still a huge, huge, huge problem.
1: Yeah, among a lot of problems. I mean, they still – you know, their offense, it's bad. It's at least, like, passable at times, but their defense is just a nightmare. And – I. I don't know. I still like, to go back to the question, I do think they, they will win a game. They have games against Fordham and GW, so they'll probably break even at least and maybe steal another game somewhere else when they have a hot shooting night. But I don't know. It's just a bad look. When you, I think when you fire Phil Martelli and this is what you get afterward, it, it's just a shame. St. Joe's is too good of a program to go through two seasons in a row like this.
0: I just can't believe they only play Fordham once. What a terrible job by the schedule makers. (laughs) That is too bad. We knew they were both going to suck. They should play each other twice so they're not screwing up other people's resumes, but yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I think we should talk about the team in Philadelphia. That's doing a little bit better right now. And this is a a question from a couple of our good friends, the gold standard podcast. And they asked us, is LaSalle beating all of the Rams this season? So, a big week for LaSalle coming up. They get Rhode Island and VCU back-to-back. They already have a 37-point win over Fordham, which I think is the most lopsided game in the conference this season. So, potentially an exciting week for Ashley Howard and company.
0: So, I'm going to say no. And if they got two shots at each of these two teams, I think I actually would have said yes. But they're going to be underdogs in both of these games. They just upset Richmond. They're not pull. This team is not good enough to pull off three upsets in a row. I mean, they're Ashley Howard gets the most out of his guys. This is the third straight year that we're going to see that, where they just kind of outperform their talent. They're they just don't look like a pillow fight team. But simply not looking like a pillow fight team is not
1: good enough to beat VCU and Rooney in the same week. Probably not. But I'm I gotta give. LaSalle a lot of credit this year it's really impressive what they've been able to do they, they lost three stars I believe from last year's team but the biggest takeaway for me in this Richmond win which um Dr. John on the call by the way coined that as the Explorer's biggest win of the season so thank goodness that's not Dayton anymore but they had six players in double figures that game which is huge and I, I think even though LaSalle is we always talked about they don't really have that go-to scorer like a pookie powell that they they used to have but there's just so many different options and so many guys that could have a big night at any time and i I think that makes them kind of dangerous where you know if if one or two guys are cold maybe someone else can pick pick up the slack whether it's jameer brickus or christian ray or whoever there's a lot of guys that could score in bunches so this is it's just been a fun season for and i think they're gonna have their hands full this week against the other rams but i wouldn't be surprised to see them keep it close in at least one of those games
0: yeah i mean Richmond's defense was just complete trash coming off of their paws i think lasalle's gonna have a lot of trouble scoring against vcu
1: yeah that's actually that's a- the
0: kind of game where they could potentially just get run out of the building actually i think they'll play play well against roadie and could very well beat them
1: vcu i think they might just get run out That's honestly the biggest takeaway too, other than LaSalle having so many guys scoring ten points. You know, it's still not a very good offensive team, but Richmond just got torched. I mean, LaSalle shot nine for seventeen on three pointers. They're scoring just about one point two points per possession. Just very disappointing for Richmond and they're kinda I don't wanna say they're done in terms of getting a tournament bid, but
0: they're They're not. Everyone thinks they
1: are. They're like they're, they're not like,
0: out, but... They're like an NIT one seed for most bracketologists, so... They're
1: not out of it, but... They've just remember simply they lost their
0: insurance.
1: They did lose to Hofstra at home. I don't know what is doing, but I can't imagine they're very good. Obviously, the, the Kentucky win just doesn't even really... It's, like, not a factor. Beating right
0: Loyola now. actually kind of became the Kentucky that's, win, but... That's
1: their big win. Loyola is very good this year, and I think people kind of slept on that at the time, but... I don't know if Richmond doesn't clean up the defense because right now their offense is actually the top ranked in the a ten just in conference play if they passed up Davidson, but their defense just stinks right now. and I don't know. It, it seems like they should just be getting more from that and they've already lost two home games in conference, which is pretty disappointing. I know the the Bonnie's loss isn't gonna look bad at all, but two pretty questionable losses now, which is. It's a concern in a year like this where you just don't know how the committee is going to handle all these mid-majors playing a shortened season.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Richmond gave up their insurance. They can't take another bad loss, but if they can get through this, pick up another big win, not fall
1: into another trap, they should be fine. I kind of want to give just real quick before we move on to our other segment, kind of a power eight hot take I was thinking about during that my Sal Richmond game. Man, I just think Grant Golden and Jacob Gilliard are so important to that team. I feel like they might flirt with the basement next year. Like, couldn't you just. How are they going to win any games next year without those guys? I feel like they're already not really playing their underclassmen very much, other than Burton. It's going to be a completely different team next year. And I'm. I'm just thinking, like, this is kind of their big chance they got to make the tournament this year, because if they don't, it, it might be a couple of years before they have another shot at it.
0: I came to the realization on Saturday that we're going to spend more time talking about Tyler Burton this summer than anyone else in the conference. <laughs> yeah, because I of- have no idea how good he actually is. He might be a first, if he adjusts properly to his new role, he might be first team all conference next year, or he might just be the good fourth guy that he is right now. I have no yeah. idea, and I'm actually really
1: excited for it. But yeah, we'll see. But tough loss for Richmond over the weekend. So, I guess that, that's really it for our Twitter questions. I think for this it, part now,
0: we got a, we got one more, and it comes oh, from did. you.
1: Oh, it is, and it's
0: point. uh, yeah. and that's just simply outside of the current top four, which I'm assuming you mean uh, Bonnie slew Richmond and VCU. Yeah, I do. What team is most likely to be able to? win the conference tournament from outside of that group so i'll actually start with this i I want to put one thing out here i think we got a high chance for upsets this year and i'm actually going to make a power eight hot prediction that two of the four double by teams will lose their first game and it's just because of the sheer volume of teams that are good enough to beat anyone on a given night and I, i would even throw duquesne lasalle George Mason in that group with Rhode Island, UMass, who has the superstars, but still have a lot of problems. And when those problems start to show up, they kind of just fall apart. Um, And then Dayton, who all of a sudden will actually have the depth if Chapman comes back and Blakeney starts playing more because he was one of two guys who was actually good against VCU. To me it, it's Davidson though. Just really simply, if you're going to go for a dark horse, it's Davidson. I, I still don't love that team. I'm still not actually sure what they're going to do in crunch time, but they're pretty damn good. And we, we've now seen twice in this month, them win just complete garbage games where they were really just looking like a pillow fight team in the first half. That's what happened against Duquesne. That's what happened against UMass. They're getting crushed inside. Their offense is completely useless. And in both of those games, they kind of turned it around at halftime. And both times you saw the floodgates open and saw what their offense is when things are going well. Grady's getting downhill. You have five shooters all around. Breikovic is making those nice little baby hooks. Um, I'm a little concerned that Hyun Joon Lee disappears on national TV way too much. But – they're just so disciplined. They move the ball so well and they correct their mistakes in every game.
1: I agree. I think Davidson would be my first pick outside that top four. Uh, Grady's just been playing amazing. I think he's finally starting to live up to that hype where people have been calling him overrated for a couple years, but he's had a great season. That is a concern though with young June Lee, who was just electric to start the year. He actually just has, one game over 10 points out of his last five and he didn't do a ton against UMass over the weekend either so if he can get going again that would be a huge boost another guy though which we've talked about him an awful lot compared to other role players but man I thought a uh, Nelson bochiedem had himself a nice game against UMass too he really did a good job shutting down Trey Mitchell and for a team that struggles to defend a lot of the time I think Davidson could really use him stepping up. The problem is he's not going to give you much of anything offensively, although apparently he's starting to shoot some threes this year, which is kind of fun. But I don't know. I feel like if they can just get more defense out of him, it might be worth sacrificing the offense because he did a great job against Trey Mitchell, I thought.
0: He should play more. I felt that all season. Um, And and I guess part of the tough thing is that Brejkovic is – having his best season so far offensively and has really toughened up a lot on defense. Trey Mitchell's just a different beast. Um, I, w- I wouldn't mind when you have games where Menenga's struggling. I wouldn't mind seeing Bochi eat him out there with Brejkovic, which we saw a lot last year. And it's kind of a bulky lineup, but with the shooters they have around them, it, it should work fine.
1: Yeah. I-, I think Davidson, I mean, they, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about all the the praise I gave them over the off season. They're they're looking pretty good. I know they dropped a couple tough games early on, lost a couple opportunities in their Maui Invitational, but all of a sudden, I mean, they find themselves near the top of the standings. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them get a double bye. I They're very much in the race. But you, you kind of took my answer there, so I'm gonna go with the second option I was thinking about, and that's Rhode Island. I I feel like kind of for much different reasons than Davidson, but they have a sneaky great defense this year. It's currently top 40 in the nation in Ken Palm. I know that it's big, fill, uh, big shoes to fill with Cyril Vangevin leaving, but Mikel Mitchell, I think, has established himself as one of the better defensive centers in the conference. And when you surround him with good perimeter defenders like Fats Russell, Malik Martin, D.J. Johnson, and some of the other guys, all of a sudden it, it's tough to score against the Rams and I feel like they're very inconsistent but we've been saying it for a while now that they have enough talent where they could get hot over a weekend and maybe make a run in the eighth 10 tournament.
0: I just can't see it unless Fats is going to give us basically 100 points over four days.
1: See I, I kind of disagree with that. the only path. That. I feel like with Rhode Island and maybe this is just my perception of them and this might be where I haven't been watching enough basketball, and you can kind of put me in my place if I'm wrong, but what I see with Rhode Island is obviously Fats, like you'd expect him to score the most points, and he, at times, he needs to carry the offense and do a better job of being more efficient, but I see a lot of guys on this team that any given night, they could get hot and score 15 points or so, like Jeremy Shepherd's had some really good shooting nights, he's over 40% on the year, uh, you know, Mitchell, as I said, he's I think he's done a better job on defense, but he can get going inside. Same with Antoine Walker. Compared to some other teams, I just feel like, you know, UMass, it's always going to be Trey Mitchell and sometimes Noah Fernandes having the big night. Dayton, it's always just going to be Crutcher. Sometimes it'd be Watson, but they don't run very deep with their scoring. I just think with Rhode Island, they've got a lot of different guys that can shoot the ball. And, you know, normally if Fats does have that huge week and score 100 points, then They will have a good chance, but I don't know. I just feel like they have enough other talented players where other guys can pick up the slack sometimes. So we'll, we'll close up the mailbag with this. You're not
0: completely wrong on a given night, but I just really don't see it happening more than twice in a four day span, or maybe they get a great shepherd game and a great Mitchell game. Walker really has had all of his best games just when the offense is flowing well and guys are moving the ball. None of these have been like fantastic Antoine Walker takeovers. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. And so with that, we will close up the mailbag. We thank everyone for sending their questions. And now we're going to move along to the guys from the SBU and unfurled and friends podcast. All right, we are back with the hosts of the SB Unfurled and Friends podcast, SB Unfurled and his friend, Lil Bonna X, uh, the two masters of Bonnie's basketball. You can listen to their pod for some good talk on St. Bonaventure, some Homerisms as to why Olean, New York is such a great town, and even some good laughs. Thanks for coming on, guys. (laughs) Thanks
2: for having us, Tyler.
3: Good to be back on. Thanks for having us. I would say we are the masters of St. Bonaventure basketball. The Mount Rushmore is probably Bob Lanier, Mark Schmidt, and then us two, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a good top four.
0: I think you guys have to share a spot and then maybe give one to Chucky Maggio.
2: Yeah, okay. I'm down with that. Or maybe we can have a Fab Five, like a
0: starting five lineup. Yeah, that's probably better. Um, I, I, you guys, for for anyone who hasn't listened to your guys' pods, one of the signatures is your uh, your goofy intros, which normally just end up being you guys making fun of VCU fans and maybe one specific VCU fan. I I, I wanted to give you guys a special intro to honor St. Bonaventure's great run in the second half against VCU, complete with a a bonnies are coming reference uh two if by alley oop and then i just realized that it would be (laughs) wasted and you guys should save it for when you crush umass at some point
2: you mean on on valentine's day because we play them on as of now we play them on valentine's day
0: as of now it's always an as of now right yeah
3: the before we play gw we can do uh the paul revere the bonnies are coming but that would make us the british so that would be kind of stupid too yeah Although I did realize... make a
2: scar when I made a picture of us uh, throwing the new Duquesne lion mascot <laughs> off the rock. So I did True. make a scar. So I already made us villains once. <laughs> yeah, we can be heels. That's fine. Depending That's fine. on who we're up against.
0: Yeah. You guys probably already are heels to the slew fans, so you can just embrace it. <laughs> I'd rather be a heel
2: to a heel than be a friend of a heel. So
3: I'm we, okay. Yeah. I mean, you did talk about that VCU fan. We decided maybe going forward, maybe we'll retire that because we, we talked and we just don't like punching down so much. Yeah. So yeah, it's, we'll it's, probably it's keep, it r- keep it to, keep it to Rothstein and, you know, stay on our level or, or go above our level.
0: So we'll, we'll move into some serious basketball questions And the first one for me is Jalen Attaway's leaping ability comparable to Obi Toppin or is that a stretch too far and we need to start the comparison off with Dr. J.?
3: <laughs> uh well his nickname is flight 33 he is like it's so effortless when he leaps I mean Toppin was what six seven six eight 69 six five six nine six nine okay so nice. yeah I mean if Attaway had four four more inches uh he would look all the more impressive but even at six five uh I agree he's it, it just it's like he glides through the air so his nickname really is perfect
2: yeah, and I said it on our pod right after we beat VCU. I, it's, it's a good comparison to Obi Toppin because obviously Attaway is not nearly as good as Obi, but they kind he's of better. run the same oh – I know, he's better. <laughs> but they kind of run the same play along the baseline where he gets a, a cutting ball in and he either dunks it or can maybe kick it into Oshun. That yeah. kind of play is really where he, he really gets his efficiency from because sometimes when he drives into the lane, he kind of does a weird – hook shot layup thing that doesn't work because he's undersized so i think with that play that's really where he shows off his leaping ability and so since he is a little shorter than obi and gets up almost as high as obi i think maybe because he's a little smaller you got to give him a little more credit then but we'll we'll see if he ends up on the next with obi in a few years (laughs) a minuscule six foot five i know what a short what a short guy
0: right (laughs) I heard you make the OB comparison on your pod. And what my mind actually immediately went to is it's more like AJ Wilson last year before he started like half playing point guard where he's just, he's kind of hanging around, skulking the rim. Cause I mean, we, we don't even know if Jalen Attaway can shoot or not. Cause I think he's only attempted two threes on the year. Yeah.
2: one ball. Yeah, if, if you yeah, go back to his time at Miami, rim, Ohio, he actually was shooting well from three and he's taken like two or three threes, I think so far this season for us. And he has not made them. So I don't know, maybe he's just not ready with the way the offense is to shoot threes or, or something, but he has that potential, but just not yet.
0: And part of one of my biggest questions for the Bonnies, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this is the offense as a whole right now, which is playing fairly well, do you feel like it's at its best? Because I continue to look at these three-point shooting numbers and Attaway's barely trying any. Lofton's been terrible from out there. A.J. Vasquez isn't doing much. Welch could probably be better. Is is the Bonaventure offense kind of at its best right now, or are we just is there still a peak to look for in February?
2: Um,
3: Well, you know, the first few games we were awful from three, and we kind of chalked it up to – Hey, we haven't played all year. We were one of the last teams in the country to start um, just because of how our pause worked. And we, we were on quarantine for so long, but after what eight, nine games now, we're wondering if this is just how we are from deep. Um, and I think like when you break down where our points come from, we're toward the top of the conference in our points coming from twos. Now, for the efficiency people they would say that is not good you want to either you know be right around the rim or shoot threes the mid-range is dead that's kind of where we thrive and it's because of Kyle Lofton but also I think the poor three-point shooting um, I mean we have been streaky before but it can also have something to do with just how how many minutes our guys are playing like uh, we're I think next to last or maybe three from last in the country in bench minutes. Um, so, you know, these guys get tired legs, they're playing 35 to 40 minutes a game and that does affect your, your three point shooting.
0: Yeah. And it certainly doesn't help that you're just not getting that many guys shooting threes. Vasquez is averaging two a game. We were at a is actually 0 for three on the year um Oshuna he's taken one I'm not sure we want to see him take more
2: did he
3: really
0: and uh (laughs) even Eddie Creel has only taken two on the season so yeah
2: I think well you mentioned Welch has kind of struggled a little bit I think we're starting to see Welch finally come on in these last two games especially against VCU and Duquesne he was five of six I think in the VCU game and he also had a pretty good shooting percentage I think in um Duquesne so I think we're starting to see him emerge and It kind of speaks to how much our, you know, not depth on the bench, but the depth amongst the the starters where one guy can go off from deep other than Oshun and maybe Attaway probably. Because Lofton, we still haven't seen it. He's only made three threes all season. But one of those threes was our biggest three of the season at Richmond. And then we've seen Jaron Holmes take off, especially once A-10 play started rolling around. And now Welch is also starting to hit some. So I think it's one of those things where on any given night, one of those three guys can be the clutch or key shooter to actually get us some threes because I, I don't see Alejandro as much as I love it. And I love the Lady Gaga references to whenever he does well, he's not in a good rhythm because of how he fits into the offense. It doesn't, it doesn't really click for him to ever get on a really good shooting streak. So it really needs to be really usually Holmes or Welch, unless Lofton has one of those um, Russell Westbrook-style games where he's just going to take over.
0: So I'll just jump to it now. Does Vasquez need to play more?
2: I think now with Anthony Roberts' official departure, yes, I think he does. Because there's going to be instances when either Welch or Lofton or Holmes really get into foul trouble and you're going to need that shooting guard. Or you could have a situation like we had against Duquesne when Jalen Attaway had to miss the first five minutes with a non-COVID illness, and we weren't sure if he would play at all. So if you don't have one of our five starters, you're really playing with fire when it comes to who's going to step in there and actually do well. And you can't just expect somebody who has only played like four minutes in the last five games or four minutes per game in the last five games. You can't expect that person to just, you know, turn it on for 25 minutes and put up 20 points or something. And even going further down the bench, I know we've talked about Alpha Okoli even. He's seen almost no action, even though his freshman year against Davidson at our place, he had some really big defensive minutes and he's barely played at all. I don't know what's been going on there, but with a nine man bench, eventually we're going to have to see some, some more depth.
0: Yeah. And plus in the Duquesne game, you guys I think lost loft into foul trouble at the end of the first half. He got his second and went out of the game, and then he got two more and somehow only had three, which is the uh, the ref math that I still can't figure out from that game. And then Holmes suffered what looked like it could have been a brutal injury. Thankfully, only missed about three, four minutes, but had to leave the game in, at a pretty important time.
3: Yeah, and Oshun Ocean, Ocean picked up his second foul like four or five minutes into that game and we were down when that happened and Jalen Shaw our our backup big man came in and and we actually talked about this on our podcast last week talking about Oshu needing to stay out of foul trouble because I said if he does get in a foul trouble and pick up two quick ones Hughes is going to dominate us um that did happen but I I think Shaw did hold his own in there and he did pretty well actually our we uh, ended up coming back and kind of getting a decent lead in the first half despite Oshun only playing four minutes.
2: Yeah, I think Jalen Shaw has really emerged as somebody else on that bench who can actually step up if we need him. Because if we look back on our previous backup to Oshun, which is Amadi Apizzi, Amadi, great guy, and had some moments here and there. But by and large, she was very inconsistent and very turnover-prone. Didn't finish well at the rim. There was one instance in the Duquesne game this this past weekend when Jalen Shaw was backing down. I don't know if it was Hughes or one of their other big men, but he was backing somebody down. Had a bit of, turns into the lane and instead of going up for a pretty mismatched shot, he kicks it right over to Jaron Holmes. And while it was just barely off of Jaron's hands and went out of bounds, the way he was looking at that play, I know Amadi would have never done. So that's why. I think Jalen Shaw, between Matt and his, his aggression on defense, we've seen him earlier this season get a steal at half court and go on a breakaway dunk. He has that athleticism, I think, that not only can get us out of trouble if Oshun is on the bench, but maybe in a matchup where St. Louis is a much bigger team, you know, we haven't seen it yet. Maybe he can be a four in that situation. We don't, we don't know yet, but that's a possibility.
0: The Bonnies have weirdly gotten their best backup center performance of the year at Duquesne two years in a row where it peasy came in and kind of saved them during a Shuna. foul trouble down at Robert Morris last year. And then honestly, I watched the whole 16 minutes Jalen Shaw played and I thought it was fairly impressive for a guy who was basically falling out of the rotation. Although then he didn't play a single second in the second half. Oh,
2: of course not. Because combined Lofton and Oshun played 19 minutes when normally both those guys would at least play 19 minutes, if not each of them playing 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> I I would trust Shaw in a two-big lineup against St. Louis, though, after what I saw there. I'm, it's not something you want to lean on, but outside of Oshunahee, the Bonnies are one of the smallest teams in the country where you're basically starting three guys, Holmes, Welsh, and Attaway at the two, three, and four when all of them realistically should be one position down if you want to look at a standard size.
3: Yeah, and that's where we were really successful in 2018 when we went to the tournament. Our best lineup and the most used lineup was actually Ladarian Griffin at the five, and he's like six 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 seven at the tallest, and then we had Courtney Stockard at the four, which is similar to how we have Attaway at the four this year. So, I mean, it's worked before for Schmidt, and I think he would rather do that absolutely than play um, two fives at the same time. He he hardly ever does that. I think we saw it with a like, and Oshun like maybe for just a couple minutes last year. He would much rather play a little smaller, a little more – a lot more athletic um, and get Attaway, who who plays bigger than 6'5", as does Welch, um, and get them – Going, I I feel like this is what the recipe has been for Schmidt, and I don't see him going away from it uh, in the future.
2: Just to add a little bit to that, I think you're seeing teams like Richmond and Saint Bonaventure as two teams that are kind of newer style, what the NBA is now. Whereas Saint Louis is what your typical college basketball team. I think of like the big teams from the old Big East with huge centers and just kind of more of a grind it out. Although they're definitely shooting better from deep this season. I think that kind of difference in styles will be tricky to kind of gauge how that game could go because it could either go like it did last year, or St. Louis punches us in the mouth over and over again, or maybe we do have a hot shooting night and have to shoot over them and we can beat St. Louis. It's, it depends on those different, you know, styles of play because that's that's the it's a different style than what we're seeing out of a lot of other teams where a lot of teams are like us, even if they have a bigger form, for instance.
0: So it looks like things are really kind of heading towards Bonnie's versus Billikins deciding the conference here. Um, you guys were scheduled to play them twice. Both those games have already been postponed. We'll, we'll see how the schedule shakes out. I can't imagine that the conference would let things go without them playing once, but it might only be once. And if that happens, that head to head game probably decides the regular season champion. So I, it, I think it's worth talking about how that matchup's going to break down. And really, one of the big things that I think of is that St. Louis this year just has a little bit more flexibility. Where if St. Louis, if, sorry, if St. Bonaventure is killing them with the small ball, like you just mentioned, Slew can go a little bit smaller, and maybe slide like Javante Perkins down to the four and try to match that athleticism.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I see that too. It's been so long since I've watched St. Louis. Um, I'm trying to remember some of their best lineups. And I think you're right in, in that instance that they do have a lot of flexibility this year, especially with Jimerson back and Perkins shooting so well. Collins is just a really, really good, good old classic point guard. And I think him and Lofton match up pretty well, too. Um, as far as the scheduling, I I don't know if the A-10, when they do seeding, will do win percentage. Um, they almost would have to if the teams don't have an equal number of games played. Um, I, I think we're going to maybe see a back-to-back. I, I think St. Louis is just going to have to play a bunch of back-to-backs. I don't know if the A-10 will make them do that too much, but I think it makes sense to do that and and mclade had said earlier um that the a10 is going to prioritize games between the top teams and if they have to at the end of the year that last bye week they will do mini pods um so you could see three games in four days you could see the bonnies playing the billikens march 4th and 5th and then play richmond march 7th um that Thursday, Friday, Sunday, McGlade said could be an option for a mini pod. So we could see a back-to-back on the surface. That isn't good for uh, a team that really plays five guys, 95% of the time doing back-to-backs. I don't know how well we're built for that kind of uh, matchup and, and tournaments in general, just because our guys play so many minutes. Um, But on the other hand, you, when you do, um, get back-to-backs you do see a lot of splits um you saw it with gw and duquesne even though i think duquesne's a much better team uh you've seen it around the country where better teams will drop one of two so i i do think that would be good for for the bonnies if they can get a back-to-back and against slu
2: Ryan Palao, if you're listening, sorry, bud, but we got to get rid of that second game that the Bonneys are scheduled to play against yes. GW. Because <laughs> yeah. that was the game. If you don't, if people don't remember, that was the game where GW went on pause at Friday night by Saturday night, they went back to practice, even though we were supposed to play Saturday afternoon. I'm not saying it was fishy because there's always, you know, false positives and you're out to be safe and, and sorry on these things, but just, I don't know. Just seemed a little convenient, but now GW is on pause altogether and they've blown out. They just blew out their uh, next two games this upcoming week. They're not going to be playing. So it's, it's going to be tricky to see how all these pieces fall into place. And honestly, the more I think about it, the more I wonder if the, the 10s is going to go to a 16 game schedule and blow out some other games, because it's, it's going to be hard St. Louis is just going to have a huge domino effect on the rest of the conference. And like, like unfurled said, we, the A-10 needs to prioritize these games be, from the top teams because there's only a small chance that we actually live up to our name here and be a three-bid league podcast because as far as I'm concerned right now, unless Richmond really turns it around, it's St. Louis, the Bonneys, and VCU that really have a shot. Maybe Davidson. You know, If Davidson beats us on Saturday, that could possibly turn them around. But I saw them have a bad loss at home to Charlotte, so I'm not quite sold on them getting back in it yet, but Really, they need to make sure that the Bonnies and St. Louis have that net boost of playing each other and making sure we also play Richmond a second time because that's another game we have that's not currently scheduled.
0: Matt and I briefly touched on it before you guys came on. I, I think Richmond's a little bit closer than everyone has kind of said coming out of the LaSalle loss. I know the Richmond fans themselves have basically kind of written their own tombstones um, I, I mean they're they're hovering around like first four out, first eight out on a lot of the best bracketologist spots right now. So the way I termed it was that they've basically burned their insurance by losing to LaSalle. They cannot take another bad loss at this point. But if they close out the year, say maybe like nine and two, then they they'll put themselves in a pretty good spot.
2: Yeah, they haven't played SLU yet and they should hopefully play us a second time. So theoretically that would help them out. But I think those two losses to LaSalle and Hofstra are really going to hurt them, especially in this weird year when it's limited schedules. I was hoping Hofstra would be a better win for us, but they've really slipped in the Colonial. So I don't think that's going to be a a loss that they can just brush aside. I think in the same way Kentucky's not as good of a win for them, Hofstra's an even worse loss for them now. And Richmond
3: still plays St. Louis twice and VCU twice. So, I mean, sure. and they play the Bonnies, So, that's five five games right there. They can absolutely get back into it, and they can get into it comfortably if they really, really turn it around and go, like, and they win three or four of those games. Um, I, I kind of like chalking up the LaSalle loss to being a little bit sluggish coming off a of pause. Also, I mean, we know as Bonnie's fans, LaSalle is always always the landmine that we seem to step on. They we always in, do that stuff. Did it in 2016. Uh, we did it last year. We, we bounced back in 2016 with a big win at Dayton. So Richmond can do that. They can get right back into the
0: conversation. The opportunities are absolutely there for them. Yeah, and we've seen the Bonnies already beat Richmond and VCU this year. Really, probably the best – path forward for the conference because i think st louis is in a really good spot if they just take care of their own business in february they'll coast into the tournament but maybe the best scenario is for either richmond or vcu to sweep the other one grab a win against either the bonnies or st louis and the bonnies just keep winning because if that happens then one of those two richmond teams is going to look like a really 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 great win for Bonaventure to go with the to go with that team, kind of getting themselves back on the bubble.
2: I'm I'm cool with that. <laughs> all I heard was the Bonnies winning a lot, so that's all I heard. I'm like, okay, that, that's cool of me. But you you are right though. That's that's the most realistic path to reaching our moniker of a three bid league. And maybe that happens, and you know Davidson does their usual thing at a tens and just mm-hmm. shoots the lights out, and then they can make it a four bid league. I don't know
0: the final thing that we covered before we played you guys in here was who's the potential bid thief this year, because I actually don't think that there's a high number this season, but Matt and I both came to the point that if there is someone who's going to sneak up at a tens, it is Davidson. So.
2: I don't even think it's to fair you to guys call, guys call him a bid thief. I don't think they're, I don't think they fit the definition of a bid thief right now. I mean, maybe, you know, The the resume would be like seventy second or seventy third out of like you know the sixty eight cut line, but I think they're close enough where I wouldn't call them a straight up bid thief. I feel like Rhodey and Lower, those guys are all bid thieves.
0: I just think that they'd have to be absolutely incredible to get themselves back on the bubble here. So who knows? Um, I
3: Davidson to me is is the safe bet. They have a lot of different options. Um, Young Jun Lee, uh, Kellen Grady, Carter, I mean, I don't have to go down the list, but Collins and Menenga and all these guys, but most importantly, uh, Bob McKillop. I mean, he's going to have them ready. They have uh, a scheme that works over multiple games, I think, um, more so than a team that isn't very deep uh, or can shoot themselves out of games with just one player, like a Rhode Island type. Uh, so unless like a Trey Mitchell just goes completely bananas, like Andrew Nicholson did in 2012, um, of course that Bonnet team was much better than this UMass team, I think. Um, but I, I think Davidson's the safe bet if you're going outside of St. Louis Bonas, uh, VCU Richmond,
2: I'm not going to feel comfortable until the clock hits zero against Davidson on Saturday, just because Davidson you can't kill these guys because of how well they shoot from deep. And it's not even just Kellen Grady, like, like unfurled mentioned. It's young John Lee, who's been even better than I think a lot of uh, a lot of the preseason hype might've been saying uh, sam angle. I've also been pretty impressed with, especially in the non-conference. I, I did not think Davidson would be this deep and I think their depth is really improving. So I think that's why I don't even consider them a big thief. That's why I almost put them ahead of, richmond before you kind of corrected me a little bit there which i agree with i think davidson's i think davidson still got some some chances and with a name like davidson with steph curry they will be considered for at large it's a joke but it's it's serious they do consider that stuff unfortunately
0: so i'll i guess we'll just go right into that game i wanted to cover it um so the bonnies are off during the midweek this week and then they play davidson on saturday one of the things that's going to be the most fascinating for me is we kind of get to see how real Bonaventure's just flat out amazing three point defenses. They're holding opponents to 28% from beyond the arc this year. That's how you outshoot your opponents from deep when you're only shooting 30% yourselves. So is this, is this when the levy kind of breaks or is this the kind of game where we come out of here thinking, wow, the Bonnies really are just smothering people on the perimeter.
3: Based on every Davidson versus St. Bonaventure game I've ever seen, I would say this is where the levy breaks. I have no confidence against Davidson. (laughs) They're going to come in and make like 20 threes against us. I I just have – I have no doubt. Jung Lee will hit six. Grady will hit five. I mean, it just – it happens every year. Um, And this is what's so frustrating about the A-10. You'll see Davidson struggle against like Fordham for a half or someone else. And I'm just like, why can't they do that against us? Every year they just are lights out against the Bonneys. So, I mean, maybe maybe it changes. This is probably one of the better defensive teams Schmidt has had. And like you said, I think they're 13th in the country in three-point defense. So, uh, if there is a year, I would say it's this year. Oddly enough, I am more comfortable playing Davidson at Davidson than I am in the Riley Center. Because whenever they come to the Riley Center, they just do not miss.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not going to feel comfortable at all, like I mentioned. But I will say that there is some hope for us to turn this around and not have what happened the last two times on Friday 10. And we can actually have some better defense. And it may not even necessarily be the perimeter defense, because while we do rotate well, that helps. But the key, especially in the second half of the VCU game, is we were able to disrupt the passing lanes a lot. And VCU is very turnover-prone, and that's why we were able to come back within, like, five or seven minutes. I'm not expecting Davidson to turn the ball over nearly as much, especially with guys like Carter Collins and Kellen Grady, who are pretty reliable at holding on to the ball. But I think that disruption will make it tough for Davidson to have those wide-open threes, I'm hoping. I mean, as I say that, I'm just flashing back to last Friday 10. But I think that is what the key for us to, to be able to stop them from deep is to actually make it difficult for Davidson's offense to get into a passing rhythm because once they're once they're able to get their open passes and they just they can nail even if you got a hand in the face so I, I'm I'm hoping that's what happens
0: are you guys still afraid of Nelson Bochy eat after his great triple nickel slash double double breakout against the Bonnies last year
2: I'd be afraid of you if you were wearing a Davidson jersey. Honestly, <laughs> I'd be like Tyler. Tyler is going to nail seven threes from here. I mean, I, I have watched a little bit of Davidson. I feel like I actually haven't watched too much of them, unfortunately, since especially in the A ten play. Um, has Has Bochy Odom been playing much?
0: Uh, basically, not until this weekend when they really needed him against Trey Mitchell.
2: Okay, because I, I didn't. I didn't watch them play UMass. Honestly, um, yeah. I like I said. Anybody in a Davidson jersey, any three of us in a Davidson jersey would probably hit five threes against the Bonnies.
3: Yeah, and Davidson's a really tall team, which like you said earlier, but the Bonnies outside of Oshun are not. They're bon, Bonaventure is much more athletic, but you you have Hyung Jung Lee who's six seven, Menenga's six nine, Bochi Udam's six eight, is in there at like 6'10", 6'11 Um they could give us some issues just because of their height. I've thought that before, and and the Bonnies have matched up um, extremely well with teams that are bigger than them, and they have actually surprised me. And guys like Attaway and Welch, their their defense has been phenomenal. But anytime you have a, a skilled six seven or six eight guy going against this Bonna team like a Tyler Burton or you know some of the other bigger um skilled fours that we've seen. It's gonna make me nervous just because we don't have that height that we usually do have.
2: But I, I would rather have a little bit less height against a team like Davidson if we can be quicker out on the perimeter for those stretch fours, as opposed to having let's say we had I don't know, let's say we did play Jalen Shaw at the four. He would not be quick enough to get out on San Meninga. So you definitely won't see the Shaw Oshun lineup against Davidson if we even see it at all. But I think having a little bit of a size disadvantage might help because Attaway is very quick and Welch is very quick when he plays the four as well.
3: Yeah, and the tempo is going to be extremely slow. I mean, every Davidson game is, they slow it down. But Mark Schmidt also in Lofton likes getting, you know, we'll get into our offensive sets, we'll run plays, we will slow it down too. It's going to be interesting to see what the over-under line is because this is going to be a very, very slow-paced game.
2: I just looked this up last night because now that we're in actual bubble conversations for the first time in like three years, I'm looking at team rankings and bracket matrix and all these things. I'm like, oh, the Bonneys are actually, you know, on the bubble, even if they don't give us the auto bid. But what I saw is that the Bonneys have cover have hit the under in all a 10 games so far, seven unders in seven wow. games. So I don't know what that means. Um, You know, They say on the roulette wheel, just because you got 10 reds coming up, the 11th might not be red or it might be red. So we'll have to see. Uh, I I don't know about the over under.
0: (laughs) We'll see. And this will be a battle of halftime adjustments too. We've seen in the games where Davidson just really gets stifled down low and teams are taking away those layups. McKillop has found a way to fix it at halftime, basically every time. So, I'm sure he'll have some sort of counter to what a is going to be able to do at the rim. We'll see what Schmidt's counter to the counter is. And by the way, you said you'd be afraid of me. I, I am basically like a 5'11 Mike. Yeah. 5'11". Basically like a 5'11 Mike Jones out there. So.
2: Oh, sweet. got an, I got a one inch on you. So uh, you're, I guess you're way and I'll be a uh, Meninga.
0: <laughs> I thought I called myself 5'9". Just like, I blanked there for a moment and realized I did say the right number. So ah, That's all right. Everybody who's like right on the edge, you always give yourself an inch. I don't know. <laughs> so one of the big things this season, um, there's been mention of a possible Kyle Lofton vengeance tour, wanting to win the head-to-head battles against all of those people that got preseason first team over him. He's had a pretty good year, putting up 15 a game. He's shooting really well from the mid-range, like you guys mentioned, but only 10% from three. What do you see from him as we move into the late part of the season? Because I feel like there's going to come a moment where he's going to have to carry this team.
3: Yeah. See, last year when they did the conference awards, and and it was – I think it's stupid to do six guys on the first team, but the A-10 did that. They had six guys on their first team and Lofton was on the first team last year um, at the end of the year. And a lot of people said that they didn't feel that his numbers uh, reflected a first team selection going into this year. It was the opposite. He thought and, and fans thought that he kind of got slighted. Um, to be honest, I, I don't know how much he cares about it. I think deep down he probably is out to have a, a vengeance tour, like you said. Um, and luckily for him, I think it's it's coaches voting. It's not people just looking at numbers because his offensive numbers shooting wise has haven't been very efficient this year. But coaches in the A10 understand how important he is. He is just the 40-minute quarterback. He's running the offense. He's been doing this for three years now. And even when he is having an off night, he'll know he's not feeling it and he'll change his game. Um, There was a game where he just was really off. I can't remember exactly what game it was. um, If it was St. Joe's or Duquesne, but I mean, he just, he knew he was off and he just took over in a non shooting way. He knew exactly who to feed. He knew how to find the hot hand. He wasn't forcing the ball uh, into other guys who were kind of cold. Um, he's just a really, really smart, heady old school point guard. And that game, I mean, he had like 11 assists and one or two turnovers. So even if he isn't hitting from deep, you still know what you're going to get. You know, he's going to be extremely consistent and he's just going to be that quarterback that we rely on. He's going to put us in a position to win. And then if we do have a shot to win it down the stretch, even if he's been cold all game, he's going to want to still get the ball and have it in his hands and take that shot. Um, So he's got a lot of guys to
0: rely on this year if he is off and he knows exactly how to find the right guy. It's, it's a really interesting thing when you look at his case for award season this year, like you said, he was the surprise inclusion on first team all conference last year. It was the biggest break from the media awards where He ended up on the third team, didn't receive one single first team vote from any of the 21 media members who voted on that. He's basically putting up the same numbers this year, but Mm -hmm. personally, I think he has a way better shot than last season, just exactly because of what you said. He's just finding ways to involve himself much more when not necessarily not scoring because he didn't score a ton last year either, but now even when he's not getting assists, he's still making a big impact.
3: Yeah. And defensively too. I mean, he's, he just, he knows where to be and he it's, he's a six, three, he's a pretty big guard. And when he goes up against the smaller guards in the conference, like a Gilliard, like a Fats Russell, he really does use his size to his his advantage defensively and offensively. You'll see him post up the smaller guards in certain situations. And he's actually good at finding lanes in and, uh scenarios where he can post up smaller guards and, and his teammates find him the ball down low and he just goes to work like he's a, a center. Um it's really good to watch. He's not gonna be doing that uh against Davidson, of course. Um and he's gonna have some tough matchups in that game, but he that is an option it's just another aspect of his game uh that's that's so good.
0: Are we gonna see like a mid range barrage game from him again this year? The first time they played Duquesne, the one up mm-hmm. in Bonaventure he that was basically kind of how the Bonnies got control of that game is he was just unstoppable from the foul line
2: yeah I think so I think I think he can definitely do the things that he can in the lane like in terms of driving into the lane and getting those difficult layups off or being able to you know pop back out and hit like a 10-foot jumper I think that's something that he'll definitely key up on trying to do when it's allowed because that does also free up Holmes and Welch for threes because that sucks in the defense a bit. So that's, that can help in several different ways.
0: So we'll close this out with really kind of a three-part question. I, I'd love to hear answers from both you guys. So the first part, I, I think all three of us believe that the Bonnies are headed to the tournament here. So what seed do they eventually get? Do they pick up a trophy along the way? And what fan base do you most want them to beat in the A-10 tournament late in the week so that you control them on an episode of SBU SB Unfurled and Friends?
3: Man, Um You know, in 2018, we put together a season that we were, like, 24-6. and We uh, were up there with Rhode Island. It was us and Rhode Island as the best team in the league. I thought we should have been, like, a 9 or a 10 seed. Some even had us, like, Jerry Palm of CBS had us as an 8 seed. We put together such a phenomenal resume that year, and they put us in the play-in game. Um, a lot of the seeding is, unfortunately, name brand, uh, name recognition. You see other teams on the bubble. If, if it's a Duke or Kentucky or Michigan State, Syracuse this year, those teams aren't even sure bets to get into the tournament. If we're up against those teams, seeding-wise or even on the bubble, I'm, I'm really worried about it just because of uh, the, the, the biases, I think, uh, for lack of a better term, that they um, they dish out sometimes in these selections, but I think we're good enough. Um, there's still a long way to go. Uh, if there's one fan base to beat, uh, man, VCU is such, such an easy answer. Um, I kind of want to say UMass just cause I love how Schmidt treats fake Jared Kushner, like his little, little,
2: uh, nerdy brother. <laughs> I will first off to that question. I'm definitely going St. Louis. I know VCU is normally what a lot of Bonnie's fans like saying, but I think I think it's kind of contrite. I think the 2017 0.4 seconds thing that that's pretty far in the past. I think we're both sides are pretty beyond that. But I still have burned into my memory Travis Ford like in the dog pile. And then also like the St. Louis Billiken mascot, that grinning freak just like floating on top of that pile as they won by two points against us. And that Nelson Caputo three just missed right and literally 40 feet away from me. And the Stockard phantom fifth foul 30 seconds beforehand in the A-10 final was even closer to me. I definitely want to get them back at some point. And if it's one versus two, that's even better. But I do think that we can keep this up because after Davidson, it's soft. It's very soft. Our February is very soft. And it's funny because since our St. Louis games and the Richmond game aren't scheduled, we're technically projected to only lose one more game at Davidson by like two points or something on Kempom. I mean, obviously, I don't expect us to go 3-0 against Richmond and St. Louis. Well, I want us to, but I don't expect it. However, that shows how soft we are in, in terms of scheduling on in February. We played quite a few of the tough games already at Richmond and VCU at home. I, I think it can open up nicely, especially if we get past Davidson. It really opens up nicely if everything stays how it's scheduled right now. And the one thing I will be worried about is if they do pile on, like, two St. Louis games and a Richmond game, like – five days before the A-10 tournament because of how the scheduling works. I hope they can sprinkle in a St. Louis game like in mid mid-feb- early mid-February. And then maybe we still probably have to end the season with Richmond and St. Louis. But, hey, maybe they'll give us a break and let us play the home game against Richmond and the home game against St. Louis back-to-back.
0: Yeah, and of your six scheduled February games, your two toughest home for Dayton at UMass – the other four are all against potential pillow fight teams, although I guess home for LaSalle is not a cakewalk at this point. But oh, things no, are no, looking... no, we, not no, for us. Never,
2: Even before the goal standard guys, we would never say that about LaSalle. LaSalle always bites us, even at home. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, the Richmond game on Saturday didn't phase me, just because LaSalle always does that to teams. Mm-hmm.
0: I will admit I skipped Bonnie's LaSalle last year to go to the gym just fully assuming that the Bonneys would take care of business in blowout fashion, and man, was I wrong. But, you know, we don't, nope. we don't want to end on a, on a dark every, note. Every
2: election year that happens. In 2012 <laughs> it happened, in 2016 it happened, and in 2020 it happened.
0: I want, to let, I want to end this on a happy note for you guys. Do you have any comment on the atrocity that was Dayton's offense against VCU on Saturday? I'm disappointed in Dayton. I mean, VCU at least put up 14 points on us
2: in that second half. Dayton couldn't even do that; it was 13. But I will say, at least Dayton did outscore all the NFL teams that played on Sunday. Because I was, yeah. I was getting worried about the Bucks. I thought the Bucks would put up 45, but they fell short of 43, and so did the Chiefs, which I know unfurls a diehard bills fan so it's not i thought we were You're ending on a happy up. note i know right i'm sorry i'm a
0: bills fan i can't if the do chiefs that. had tried on the last possession they would have beat the 43 all right,
2: 43, all right. But... i'm an nfl anarchist so
0: i was no, i didn't bills.
2: uh
3: the the bar i was at didn't have cbs sports so i didn't get to see the the Dayton game so
0: i have no idea <laughs> i just saw the score <laughs> it was it was bad but this podcast was not this was pretty fun I want to thank you guys for coming on uh anything to plug besides the podcast
2: no we'll be having a pod coming out this week uh getting you ready for Davidson we're also coming up on our one year anniversary so we got a special a year in review poll kind of not quite a march madness thing but we got some uh i guess a, some March madness type voting of what are your best bits have been from s b unfurled and Friends we'll be getting those out we're informally i don't know if we've officially decided on the name but we think we're going to call them the schmitties since (laughs) if there are any levitard show fans out there they know what the Sueys are
0: it's kind of like that (laughs) so be sure to go listen to the sb unfurled and friends podcast follow them on twitter sb unfurled a great guy for Game graphics, some stat breakdowns, and Little Bonna X, who's wonderful if you want to watch somebody get in a meme war with the Gola standard, guys.
2: <laughs> I lost my meme. I challenged him to a meme duel, and, and he won. And
0: the better man won, I will say. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on.
2: <laughs> thank you, Tyler. Thanks, man.
0: All right, a big thank you to SB Unfurled and Lil Bonna X, hosts of a fantastic St. Bonaventure podcast. You should definitely go check it out after you finish listening to this one. Thank you to everyone who sent us in mailbag questions. And a thank you to everyone who listened to this pod. If you enjoyed it, please give us five stars on iTunes. Leave us a comment. We always want to hear your feedback. If we're doing something well, if there's something we could be doing better, be sure to let us know. Everybody stay safe out there.